Kinging wave, Fox Beard, Lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. DJ bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday night, November 3rd, 2022. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. That means we're live. Let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking right now at 646-668-2433. And welcome to episode 496. That's right, 496. Four more episodes to go, and we'll be at number 500. And we're going to have a lot of fun with 500. I've got something special planned, something that I'm personally going to enjoy, and I hope you guys do as well. So, Check out our Facebook page and find out what that might be. And where can you find that information, Eric? Uh, good old trektalking.com, which matches exactly the name of this podcast. So it's real easy to remember, trektalking.com. That's right. And where can you go, Paul? God, that is just the craziest coincidence, man. How, how, how do you suppose that worked out? It's just that, 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 that the website would match the name of this podcast, trektalking.com. It's mind-boggling. It's just incredible. Charles, where can people go to find everything they want to know about this podcast? They can go to the trektalking.com website or the trektalking.com and be on Facebook page. That's right. David, David, I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question. Where can our fans go to find out everything they want to know about this podcast? Trektalking.com. That's right, trucktalking.com. So go and check that out, guys. And uh, we have 119,682 downloads of this podcast as of right now. So thank you so much for that. And 103,621 likes on our Facebook page, which is linked to trucktalking.com. So please check that out. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. We have a double dose of Star Trek for you guys tonight. That's right, a double dose because we're going to be talking about the season three finale of Star Trek Lower Decks, The Stars at Night. And we're going to follow that up with the season one continuation of Star Trek Prodigy, which was episode 11, Asylum. So we're going to talk about both of those things. We also have our Star Trek birthdays, convention calendar, as usual, and some Star Trek news. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Before we dive right in, though, let's go around and introduce all of my awesome Trek experts. And we'll start off with David. David's out in Portland. He's part of our Portland trifecta. How you doing, David? Pretty good, pretty good. Just sitting down at the computer with some cookies and milk. Oh, so now you're cookies and milk, David. You gave up sure. on the donuts. <laughs> That's what my nickname is. <laughs> 
No more donuts. <laughs> and also from Portland, we have Paul, the toy slash wine guy. How you doing, Paul? I am doing well, Admiral Buenamigo. How are you? Uh, you know, <laughs> those evil admirals, they just pop up everywhere, don't they? You never know where we will be next, where we will come from. So I am doing well, though. Things here in my quadrant with my uh, many uh, California-class ships are quite entertaining. Looking forward to discussing <laughs> Gotta love it. And wrapping up our trifecta from the Portland area, we have Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? I'm trying to recover from that nasty reveal, but uh, it's okay because I'm here with friends and I get to talk about <laughs> Trek and other things that made me less sad than that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I could pass you a Kleenex. Would you like a Kleenex oh, or some tissue squares? One. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, it was awful. I had just I had just defended admirals at uh, Triconderoga. Just defended them and said not every single one of them is bad. You guys need to go check out the ones who are good. And then what do they it's give us? It's true. Oh. It's true. They're it's they're like anybody, man. It's good I and it's bad. I know. Yeah. And they they throw an evil one at him. Remember how much we were loving his name, his his name, which means good friend in English. You know. Oh, how did we not see it? Anyway, continue on. Well. We're going to dive into that tonight, and not from Portland, but from Las Vegas. We have our very own Charles. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good from the cold West Coast. My cohort yeah. didn't comment, but it is warmer in New York and Vermont than it is on the West Coast. We're going to Hard pass to my friends who are in Portland a ja- uh, uh, some uh, blankets. Yeah, because we all need some blankets. <laughs> They're getting forties. We're getting fifties. Jim's over there enjoying seventies. Yeah, it's weird. Very weird. But at any rate, guys, um, we're gonna we're gonna trudge on and try to make it through. Um, we're gonna be talking about lots of Star Trek tonight. Trek talking is gonna be jumping tonight. Um, it's it's Friday's Eve. So sit back and enjoy. We always start off our show with our fan shout-outs. And fan shout-outs is where we, we personally thank you for listening to this show. And you can hear your name on fan shout-outs by going to trektalking.com. That's right, trektalking.com. It's very easy to remember, trektalking.com. And if you go to trektalking.com, in the bottom right-hand corner, you will see a link to our Facebook page. Click on that, and boom, it'll bring you right over to our Facebook page, which is Truck Talking and Beyond. At the top of the page, you will see the Live Long and Prosper and the simple question, hey, tell us where you're listening from. And every week, yours truly, Uncle Jim, picks 15 lucky listeners. Actually, we're up to 20 now. 20 and 20 lucky, lucky listeners. If you see a heart next to your name, from yours truly, then your name is going to be featured on a future fan shout out. So, Eric, why don't you get us started with our fan shout outs? I would love to. Our very sincere thanks and a big thank you. And first fan shout out goes out this week to Carla Rathmanner from Sydney, Australia. Good day, mate. Uh, thank you so much, Carla, for supporting us. And you say Voyager in your comments. So I'm going to guess that is your favorite series. And I will tell you, I'm down with the Janeway vibe, that is for sure. So thank, thank you, Carla, for supporting Star Trek, Janeway, 
and for carrying that truck talking torch way down there in Sydney, Australia. We're also saying hello this week and sending out a big cupla to Samantha Knight in Oxford, England, just across the pond. Samantha, thank you so much for supporting us in the UK. Jamesie Francis Bremeld from Belfast, Ireland, also that similar part of the world. Jamesie, thank you so much for listening to us and for interacting with us on our Facebook page. It means that you like us and, and we like you. So that's why we do these fan shout outs. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for saying hi to us. I'd also like to say hello to Esteban Ortega, who sends us a live long and prosper all the way from the Canary Islands, way, way out there. Esteban, I respect anybody who lives out in the middle of a big giant ocean. Um, that's, some, that's some cool stuff. So uh, live long and prosper to you as well. Peace and long life. And uh, Charles. Take it away with your fan shout-outs. I sure will. Uh, big, uh, big greetings to Janie Harvey up in Fairbanks, Alaska. I wonder if you guys are getting the cold front we're getting. Michael L. Friend from Fort Worth, Texas. Dennis Ragsdale from St. Joseph, Montana, I believe. Missouri, sorry. I don't always remember my code. And Tom Frakes from Illinois. David, who's in your area? Yeah, uh, I'd like to thank everybody that I have on my list ahead of time. And for my first one, it's a top fan, Paul Rutherford from Connecticut, USA. <clears throat> Next is Donald El Apujo from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Next is the uh, Nick Lopez from San Ontario, Texas. Last on my list is Kim Wolf from Evansville, Indiana. Paul, who's on your list? Well, David, we are going around the world in 80 seconds here today. We've got folks all over this planet who are fans of Star Trek and also fans of Trek Dawkins. First of all, a mighty hello and thank you for being a fan to Roy Davey in fantastic Southampton, England. Amazing place full of nautical history. Uh, folks probably know Southampton is where the Titanic launched so a great place of renown and a place of tremendous shipbuilding history. Thanks for uh, listening and being a fan, Roy. In Costa Rica, uh, in beautiful Central America, Roger Cascante is also a fan of all things Trek and of Trek talking. Hello, Roger. God, I got to get to your country someday. I am just always seeing from friends who visit there how stunningly gorgeous it is. In Brussels, Belgium, back to Europe. We are saying hello to Darrell Salceno in Brussels. Thank you, Darrell, for listening and uh, for shouting out to us. It's great to know you're out there. And in India, it doesn't say where, but in India, which is a mighty country full of possibilities, uh, Madhura Mukherjee is saying hello as well. It is fantastic to hear from you, Madhura, and uh, from everyone on all of our different corners of the globe. It's great to hear your Star Trek enthusiasm. Let me pass the weather vane over to good friend, Admiral Jim. All right, guys. We want to say thank you and kapla to Chet Bush, who started in Phoenix, Arizona, and went all the way to Tacoma and ended up in New York. So thank you for listening to us. 
chat. We also want to say Kaplana Larry Tucker, who's listening to us in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we want to say live long and prosper to Austin Anderson, who's in New Brunswick, Canada. And, you know, I always save the Klingons for last, obviously. Um, but this next one, I'm not really too sure, but we'd like to say Kapla to Chris E. Lee, who claims that he's listening to us uh, in the Klingon Empire on Kronos. I'm not sure yeah. if I believe that. Yeah, um, you gotta you gotta believe it, man. I mean, uh, I I think that our signal does reach out that far. The problem is he might be listening to shows from like five or six years ago. We're not really certain. Yeah, that's true. He might he might just be hearing our discovery reviews for season one. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, at any rate, thank you so much to Chris Kapla. Thanks for listening. All right, guys, this next our next segment is one that I really um, enjoy, and this is our Star Trek birthdays. And before we can get to that, though, we have to get to this. That was not a Klingon song. So this is one of my favorite parts of the show because we get a chance to remember some episodes, some characters, and some actors that maybe we haven't thought about in a long time, or maybe it's an episode we've never seen. I know there's a lot of Star Trek fans that are new to Star Trek, and maybe when we mention it on this show, it's the first time you've heard it. So uh, we like to have some fun with our birthdays, and we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. So, Eric, who do we have starting off on our Star Trek Remembrances this week? Yeah, we have 10 people who would have had birthdays this week uh, who are no longer with us, Jim. Uh, the first remembrance goes out to actor Ben Gage, who, of course, played the character of a car in TOS's episode Friday's Child, a car being uh, that high tier of the 10 tribes of Capella the Four, uh, Capella Four. Um, who was like in charge of this topoline mineral everybody was after. Um, ben Gage had a somewhat sporadic film and television career. Uh, he actually started his career dubbing songs and then disappeared from the movie world for a time and then made a couple things in the 50s and 60s, but just 14 credits overall. Uh, so not very prolific actor, but lived a good life and played a good role. So thanks, Ben Gage, uh, and happy birthday to you. Also, happy birthday this week to actor John Donner, who played the awesome Vulcan Tal in TOS's episode, The Enterprise Incident, uh, Tal, a Vulcan priest. Most people forget that 36 years later, he portrayed that same character uh, on Enterprise uh, on their fourth season episodes, Home and Kirshara, um, and is one of only five actors to appear in both TOS and Enterprise. Um, lots of acting credits uh, to, to his credits. Uh, he did become ill in 1977, upon which he retired from acting and became a licensed psychotherapist. So interesting kind of second career, uh, which then would last him until the 90s when he went back into acting. And we did lose him just in 2019. So happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to a fantastic Vulcan character played by John Donner. Happy birthday as well to William Campbell, who played uh, the... Famous, infamous character of Trelane in TOS's episode, The Squire of Gothos. 
but that, of course, is not it. He uh, is one of the most renowned Dahara masters out there, uh, known for also playing the Klingon Koloth in both the Trouble with Tribbles back in the day and later in DS9's episode Blood Oath, which I think many of us have only recently rewatched. Uh, you know, he described his role on Blood Oath as being his most difficult acting job that he ever did, uh, but that he would have liked to have done it again. And his teeth from that episode were actually sold off at auction, kind of interestingly. Uh, William was also a personal close friend of DeForest Kelly uh, and was really hit hard when DeForest died in uh, 1999. Uh, Some people don't know that he also played the lead role in Francis Ford Coppola's 1963 cult horror movie, Dementia 13, having worked with him on uh, Roger Corman's The Young Racers just the year before. And uh, we lost William Campbell in 2019. So happy birthday to a great actor who played two iconic roles in Star Trek, uh, William Campbell. Happy birthday as well to Hamilton Camp, uh, who was known for a couple different roles. He played the Ferengi Lek in the DS9 episodes Ferengi Love Songs and the Magnificent Ferengi, and also played a kind of weird alien Vrelk in the Voyager episode Extreme Risk. Uh, Varelk was that controller uh, of a Maloran export vessel on that episode. Uh, but Hamilton Camp is usually best known for his role as Andrew Hummel in the 1968-1969 television series He and She. Um, became kind of a voice actor in the 80s. Uh, very sought after, actually. Uh, known as the voice of Greedy and Harmony Smurfs on that old Smurfs show from back in the 80s. Um, and also played a couple of different roles on Darkwing Duck and DuckTales, uh, which are a couple of shows that people love from the 80s and 90s. Uh, played H.G. Wells on Lois and Clark in the 90s, um, and was also a great folk singer who was in a band with Bob Camp uh, called Hamilton. Um, uh, their last album came out uh, posthumously uh, after uh, Hamilton Camp's death in 2005. So. Hamilton Camp, thanks for your multiple roles and uh, lots and lots of cool stuff in your repertoire there. People should go look him up. Happy birthday as well to Ed Lauder, who played Lieutenant Commander Albert in TNG's episode, The First Duty. Um, That was the one, of course, where the the cadets were trying to do that culvert starburst and uh, Wesley kind of comes clean and stuff goes down. Uh, most people don't know that Ed was also considered for the role of Benjamin Sisko on Deep Space Nine. So we could have had an Ed Lauder Ben Sisko instead of an Avery Brooks. Um, I think they made the right choice, but Ed is a fantastic actor. Uh, he was a comedian before he became an actor, uh, made his film debut in uh, the 1972 sequel, The Magnificent Seven Ride. Uh, but of course, he was best known as Captain Nauer in the 1974 blockbuster the Longest Yard. Um, he was mistakenly uh, mistaken for Patrick Stewart <laughs> at the 2012 Oscars by a BBC reporter, which is kind of a hilarious thing. You can look up on YouTube if you'd like. Uh, and he died of mesothelioma in 2013. So Ed Lauder, once again, prolific. Lots of cool Star Trek tie-ins. Uh, we do miss you. Happy birthday to Ed Lauder. Happy birthday as well to David Ogden Steers. Uh, Timison, uh, great character, fell in love with Luoxana Troy uh, in, uh, in that episode, Half a Life. 
Um, but of course, Steers, I know Charles is on this tip. Uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely best known for his role as uh, Major Charles Emerson Winchester III on the highly successful television yep. series MASH from 77 to 83. He received two Emmy Award nominations for his role uh, as Winchester on that show during that time. So pretty cool that uh, an actor of that caliber is involved in Star Trek. And nonetheless, an episode that was fantastic uh, as well. Um, he also guest starred in, North, in the North and South trilogy, which Breaks and Kirstie Alley. Some people forget we're in that. Um, he did some voiceovers for THX 1138. So cool George Lucas connection there. Um, and he has a lot of feature films under his belt too. So we lost David Ogden Steers uh, in 2018. So happy birthday to another fantastic actor uh, who played many good roles. Happy birthday as well to Warren Stevens. Uh, Warren Albert Stevens played Rohan in TOS's episode by any other name. Uh, he was in the Naval Academy and then uh, later went on to be a pilot in World War II, which is pretty cool. Kind of crossed over with Jeffrey Hunter in the 50s in The Frogman, uh, an old movie. So uh, had a neat connection years before Star Trek there and made over 150 television guest appearances, including shows like The Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, uh, Time Tunnel, Land of the Giants, etc. cetera. Uh, lived to the ripe old age in 92, uh, but uh, we did lose him in 2012. So Warren Stevens would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday. Got to mention one thing about Warren Stevens, man. Hit me, buddy. He was in basically the entertainment that without which there would be no Star Trek. Warren Stevens was one of the cast members of the original 1956 Forbidden Planet. And if you watch Forbidden Planet, it is 99% of the inspiration that Roddenberry used for Star Trek. It, it basically is Star Trek, except their ship is shaped differently. So, and there's no Vulcan, but I mean, it is totally Forbidden Planet. And uh, a magical, fantastic science fiction movie. But he's Doc Ostro in that picture. So really ah, cool. tremendous uh, cat. Really, really amazing actor. I think I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. That is a fantastic reminder. Thank you, Paul. Uh, well, happy birthday to Warren. And happy birthday as well, and remembrance is going out, to actor Michael Zaslow, uh, who played Darnell in uh, the TOS first season episode, The Man Trap. And then actually later played a second role of Jordan in the second season episode, I Mud. Uh, he was the first death ever seen on Star Trek and the first person that uh, Dr. McCoy ever says, he's dead, Jim. So he's got that. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that for him, going for himself. Uh, Michael Zaslow is also the godfather to Christian Slater, who, of course, crosses over in the Star Trek realm in Star Trek VI briefly uh, with his little cameo appearance there. Uh, but he's definitely best known for playing the villainous Roger Thorpe on The Guiding Light for 20 years. That's right. He's a soap opera star. Uh, my mom uh, watched this guy for years, and I'm sure uh, still remembers him fondly. Uh, Miri guest appearances, had a couple of feature films, uh, but unfortunately he got ALS, and we lost him way too early at 56 years old. But he he was survived by his widow and daughters who went on to – uh, start a foundation uh, that uh, raised money for Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, so good stuff happens um, out of that unfortunate loss uh, in 1998. So 
Happy birthday to Michael Zaslow. Happy birthday to another Michael, Michael Champion, who played Baratus. That's right, Baratus, the weird-looking alien in Captain's Holiday, the fish-headed people from the 27th century who were trying to steal. Trying to steal. But <laughs> he was also known uh, very fondly, I think, uh, by uh, you know film that we pop up every once in a while. I think both Paul and uh, Jim have definitely brought it up. Uh, he played Helm in 1990s Total Recall, uh, which was, you know, Richter's kind of right-hand man uh, in that movie. So uh, Michael Champion, Total Recall crossover, uh, also was in Beverly Hills Cop, uh, also worked with Will Wheaton in Toy Soldiers, appeared in the film 10 with Denise Crosby, and uh, we just lost him a little over a year ago, June of 2021. So a great career for Michael Champion, uh, tiny little Star Trek connection, but a couple of adjacencies also, which is pretty cool. So happy birthday, Michael Champion. And uh, our very last remembrance this week goes out to uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Ray Walston, who is fondly known as Boothby uh, throughout the Star Trek franchise. Um, he Boothby appeared a few times as himself and a few times kind of as himself. Um, so first in the fifth season episode, First Duty, he was actually Booth B. And then later he appeared in two episodes of Star Trek Voyager, uh, portraying Chakotay's hallucination of Booth B and a holographic recreation of Booth B uh, in the fight. Uh, and he was a member of Species 8472, disguised as Booth B in the episode of In the Flesh. So a few different Booth Bs, but Booth B... Nonetheless, when you think of him, Ray Walston is the guy that you think of. Also, if you don't know him from Star Trek, you certainly know him from the fantastic show from the 60s, My Favorite Martian. Um, he was Uncle Martin. Uh, so uh, he was the guy. His <laughs> face is so familiar, right? You can't, you can't miss him. Um, uh, Paul, I'm sure you, you love that show. I would, I would oh, God, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, I just I got to say, it's just like, uh, you know, uh, I think Boothby is like one of the most under, under-acknowledged, underrated yeah. characters in all of Star Trek. I think he's just phenomenal. Uh, Playmates, if you're listening, uh, we never got a Boothby action figure, mm-hmm. you know, with his, he could have gardening gloves, he could have knee pads, you could go crazy. But, <laughs> it would be great. So, I mean, it would know. be great. He, and he, you're right. He's like the wise old sage, right? He's he's, yeah. he's like the conscience of Starfleet Academy. When yeah, when crazy horrible stuff is happening, right? It's like he remembers all these cool things about uh, when Picard was, you know, going through his youth and stuff like that. And he's like uh, he's like the conscience, right? He's uh, he's absolutely great. And, and everybody uh, has a Boothby story, right? Everybody who went to Starfleet Academy has crossed over with Boothby at some point. Yeah, that's just great. He's just a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, performer and just indelible. So, uh, I, I, God, I wish we could see more of him. <laughs> I, wish, I know, you know. I know. I wish it was he, possible. Uh, that would be amazing. I mean, he, he's such a talented actor, greatly known, of, of course, in Star Trek uh, for Boothby. But he's a good singer, too. Um, he's got Tony uh, award-winning performances on Broadway for Damn Yankees uh, under his belt. Uh, two-time Emmy award-winning role as Judge Henry Bone in the drama series Picket Fences, uh, and supporting roles on several popular films, including South Pacific, The Apartment, The Sting, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, He's all over the place, uh, or was all over the place, uh, just 
great actor. I think we miss him like heck. Uh, lost him way back in uh, 2001. Uh, he had just turned 86, uh, and then we lost him on New Year's Day in 2001. So Ray Walston would have had a birthday this week, and that, everyone, does it for our remembrances. Um, so love and peace going out to those folks. Charles is going to celebrate the folks who are still with us and have some birthdays. Take it away, Charles. All right. A lot of mine don't have a whole lot on their list, but let's start off with Jasmine Jessica Anthony. Play Tali in Enterprises via the Voyages. Harriet Iverin played Maggie in Maggie O. Hellrin in Boys, Fairhaven, and Spirit Folk. Morgan Peters played Jay Hawkins in Picard's Two of One. Then I've got John Keegan DeLancey. Played Q Jr. in Boys Q2. Yes, the name does sound familiar. That is John DeLancey's son who I looked at his roles, and he played his father's son in the episode, and it was the last of six roles he did. Doesn't have much in IMDb. Michael John Anderson portrayed Rumpelstiltskin in DS9's episode, If Witches Were Horses. He was an interesting actor due to a unique disability, but one of the things on his trivia that was interesting is he worked at NASA as a computer expert. So we've got an actor and nerd together. And finally on my list, Warren Chachur played Alto Kerr in DS9's All In. And he has more roles as a stuntman than he does an actor. And he actually is on IMDb in that Discovery episode, actually credited as both an actor and a stuntman in that episode. Paul, who's on your list? All kinds of good folks uh, going out there this week, Charles, having a big uh, end of October, early November Halloween-themed birthday week. Uh, fellow Scorpios all, happy birthday to Scott Jake, who portrayed the Catan Administrator in the Next Gen episode, The Inner Light. Probably the greatest Next Gen episode ever, but absolutely wonderful uh indelible performer uh, leaves a wonderful kind uh, uh, depiction with that character. Really, really great. But he wasn't done with Star Trek yet. He also played Lieutenant Commander Cavett in the Voyager episode, Caretaker, the pilot. So definitely Scott Jake firmly planted with both feet in uh, the Star Trek universe. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday to our next name on the list, the spectacular, the luminous, the uh, unforgettable Winona Ryder, who we know from the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie from 2009, where she got a crack to play Amanda Grayson in that particular film, Spock's mom, as we know. But Winona Ryder is, I just think, a a living treasure, a, a legend. She has been in so many great films, uh, I mean, it, it's we could do hours on her. I mean, from Beetlejuice to uh, uh, 
Frankenweenie to you name it. I mean, she's part of the the the, the regular recurring road company well, of Tim Burton players. Alien but I things. Yeah, I think of her right now as Stranger Things. Stranger Things. I mean, if you've not watched that show yet, you're missing something tremendous. But uh, her portrayal as Joyce Byers on that show. I mean, a lot of times people are like, oh, she's just the, the high strung spacey mom, you know, shaking her hands around. But the, the ferocity that she's willing to go to dark places to find her son and do the right thing and, and uh, risk it all for people she cares about, it's nothing short of a truly courageous performance. And she is absolutely top dollar in the acting department. So wherever you are, <laughs> I wouldn't own a writer. Uh, we salute you with every goblet of Romulan ale that we have. You are a tremendous performer. And uh, may your career shine brightly for many, many years to come. I love this next actor. Uh, happy birthday, sir, to Leon Rippey. <laughs> it's in a wonderful first season Next Gen episode called uh, The Neutral Zone that you may have seen. Uh, he played a character called L.Q. Clemens, who had been uh, brought back from a, some kind of suspended cryogenic animation, if I remember correctly. And he was a, a eccentric uh, raconteur millionaire somebody like kind of a imagine like a uh, a crazy western version of, uh, of whoever insert your mil- favorite millionaire here but he's just been on all kinds of great shows from like eight-legged freaks to stargate and all kinds of things he's got zany all over the place if you need an irascible uh fun charming old western guy you're going to call Leon Rippey, uh, absolutely hilarious performer, really, really fun to watch. Happy birthday also to Matthew Wolf, who voiced Montgomery Scott, what, in the Strange New World episode of Quality of Mercy. We just got to hear you, Mr. Wolf, but maybe, who knows, now that we know Scotty exists in this neck of the woods, perhaps you'll be embodying the character again in some other way. I don't know. We'll find out. Happy birthday also to Karen Hensel, who portrayed Fleet Admiral Brackett in the next-gen episode, Unification 1. Eric, I'm pretty sure Fleet Admiral Brackett belongs in the Good Admirals, but, you know, I'll leave it to you to to sort her out. But uh, I think maybe she belongs there. And finally, uh, happy birthday to uh, the lovely Helene Udi, who played Pell in the Deep Space Nine episode, Rules of Acquisition. Man, been viewing a real deep dive, revisiting... Deep Space Nine episodes, there are some treasures in there, to be sure. Some stunning performing and writing going on. Uh, That's all I've got uh, from my uh, birthday list. Happy birthday to all of you fantastic folks. Jim, how about you? Well, I've got a few birthdays as well. We want to say happy birthday to Scott Thompson, who portrayed Diamond Goss in TNG's episode, The Price. We also want to say uh, how I ended up with this one – I guess it was just the luck of the draw. Uh, but we want to say happy birthday yeah. to Kether Donahue, who, uh, who voiced the incredibly awesome, probably one of the best characters that's ever been portrayed on Star Trek. And one of my all-time favorite episodes, an episode that I just can't get enough of, uh, she voiced Peanut Hamper in the Lower Decks episode, No Small Parts, um, and Mathematically Perfect Redemption. Uh, just, I can't say enough good things about, about that episode and about that character. So uh, happy birthday to 
Together Donahue uh, as Pina Hamper, uh, who's currently hanging out um, at the Daystrom Institute in the uh, Prison for Evil Computers, um, <laughs> chatting away with our with our favorite um, Andorian Shran. So happy birthday to Kether Donahue. We also want to say happy birthday to Robert Foxworth, who played Admiral Layton in DS9's episodes Homefront and Paradise Lost. He's definitely uh, one of the evil admirals uh, that that we're referring to. And I, I think he actually made uh, Eric's evil list. But wait, but wait, there's more. Uh, he, wasn't, more. he wasn't content playing an evil admiral. Oh, no, no. He had to be an evil stalagmite as well. So it's not a uh, it's not a Serenite. <laughs> it's a Serenite. Thank you very much, Jim. Yeah, it's a Serenite. Uh, he showed up as Velas on the Enterprise episode uh, trilogy, The Fours, The Awakening, and Kershana. So uh, he's got a, a history of playing evil dudes. So happy birthday to Robert Foxworth. Did he make your list, Trek Conoroga, Eric? Uh, I do not believe that he did. No, but I, you know, I had to kind of keep it. Uh, oh, actually, you know what? Actually, Leighton did make my list because Leighton is, is kind of one of those guys who like went too far because he was so afraid of the dominion. Right. So yeah, yeah he was absolutely on my list. Yep. I thought so. Yeah. Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Billy Simpson and Billy Simpson. I feel was in one of the ultimate animated series episodes if you've never watched star trek the animated series this is the episode i recommend you watch written by dc fontana and it's uh it's called yesteryear it is just it's the best 22 minutes of a cartoon you're gonna see it's outstanding it's really really good and billy simpson voices young spock in this episode who's the centerpiece of the entire episode one of the many characters, I forgot how many characters have done Spock. We did, we did a thing on 11, 11. He's one of the 11 who have played Spock. So happy birthday to Billy Simpson. Now that wraps up our birthdays, but I always save the Klingons for last. And I've got a couple of Klingons here. Oh boy. Do I have a good one to start with? So, uh, for, <laughs> and, so uh, and Jim, let's after you do these two, I have a cool, cool, super trivia fact that ties these two together that uh, only only uh, David will appreciate, but maybe some of our fans will appreciate. Well, let me see if I can how bad I can butcher this first guy. Uh, we want to say happy birthday to Obi Nadefo. Uh, I think I got that right. Who played Drex, the son of Martok, in the DS9 episode The Way of the Warrior, and. I did not know this, but two years ago he was in a car accident and lost both of his legs, and that did not stop him. He he's still out there, and uh, he was on Stargate SG One as well as Star Trek. But most people know him as Drex, son of Martok, and he's still out there doing the circuit and showing people that you know even with the loss of his legs, he's still. You know, he's still contributing and he's still going and he didn't let that get him down. So happy birthday and congratulations to Obi Nadefo. And the last birthday on my list, as I said, is another Klingon. We want to say kapla to Gabriel Monique Union, who played Nagarin in the DS9 episode 
sons and daughters. This is the one where Alexander is serving on the Klingon ship with Martok and Worf. Uh, great episode if you haven't seen it. And that, my friends, wraps up our Star Trek birthdays. And uh, Eric, what did you? You had some well, trivia about these. Two? Very cool trivia about both uh, Obi and Defo and Gabriel Monique Union's portrayals. So those two characters, Drexen and Garen, uh, you know, whenever it comes out, we like to cover Star Trek Attack Wing content. Star Trek Attack Wing is a miniatures game, Star Trek themed miniatures game. We like to cover new content when it comes out. And Drexen and Garen are two of the most valuable cards in the game that have exactly the same text. Um, It says action when attacking this round. You may convert one battle station's result into one critical result and all of your other battle station's results into hits. Drexen and Garen are the two things that in this game enable you to do things like multiple attacks where you get uh, dice conversions on every single attack with a single action. They're invaluable uh, members of the Star Trek Attack Wing community. And I just think that it is so cool that both of these actors have birthdays in the same week when they have this kind of cool, like, Attack Wing Star Trek connection, uh, when they're, in fact, their characters don't actually cross over in the series, right? (laughs) So wanted to bring that up for all the Star Trek Attack Wing fans out there. I know David likes these cards. I know I like these cards. Um, These are great cards played by great actors. So just want to throw that in there. I I never build my Klingon fleet without having both of them in my fleet. Never. They're so good. They're so good. They're always always on my ships. And speaking of attack wing, uh, we, you know, according to their release, uh, November 30th, we're going to be seeing a Tal Shiar fleet pack and a Federation fleet pack. So we'll have to keep our Yay! eyes out. To see we are keeping stuck. our fingers crossed. Or if we, they, they, him, yeah, they've so. delayed them a couple of times here. And I got to believe that the delay is related to uh, manufacturing. I don't know that. I don't have any inside information on that, but I, I feel like it's got to be a manufacturing thing because they did announce these quite a long time ago and they've delayed the dates a couple of times. So hopefully November 30th, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Both Dave and I are just chomping at the bit, aren't we? Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, guys, it's time for convention, 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 calendar. All right, guys, it's time for convention calendar, and this is the opportunity for you guys to find out if there's a local convention in your area that you can go and hang out with fellow like-minded fans. All right, Eric, get us started with our convention calendar. You better believe it. We're going to head to the biggest and greatest city in the country, the Big Apple Comic Con. That's right, December 17th. You can meet up with thousands of other New Yorkers and folks from all over the country at the New Yorker Hotel in beautiful New York, New York. The city's so nice, they named it twice. Big Apple Comic Con, go check it out. If you're not in New York, perhaps you're down in the Texas, the Conroe, Texas area, and you would want to hit something slightly more terrifying. Terrorfest, December 17th through the 18th at the Lone Star Convention and Expo Center in Conroe, Texas. And if you're not there and you're not in New York, well, maybe you're close. Maybe you're in Newark, Delaware. 
you want to go to that New Year's furry ball a couple of weeks later. That's right. That December 31st, you could go to the furry ball at the Embassy Suites by Hilton, Newark, Wilmington South in Newark, Delaware? Newark, Delaware, not New Jersey. There you go. I forgot that there was a Newark, Delaware. David, which conventions are on your calendar? Well, it looks like I have the Fan Expo New Orleans 2023 from January 6th to the 8th over at the New Orleans Ernest North Memorial Center at New New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, Next one is North Dallas Toy Show. On January 7th, uh, Celebration Event Center and Ballroom. Uh, is that Plano or Piano? Looks like Plano, Texas. Plano, <laughs> uh, Texas. Plano, Texas. Okay. Plano. And then uh, <laughs> next on the list is St. Pete Comic Con, January 7th to the 8th. At the Coliseum in St. Petersburg, Florida. Paul, oh, what's on your list? Did we lose, Did Paul? We lose Paul? Or the Paul? Paul still. Oh, you got the mute button hanging on there, guys. Sorry. <laughs> there about we that. go. Right. <laughs> extra. My headphones have an extra mute button just because uh, it's really necessary to shut me up during meetings. <laughs> Anything is that will help with that task is good. First of all, I'd like to give a big shout out to a super super fan. In the state of Florida, Charlie Nunez, who I think people may have heard of before in the comic book realm. But uh, that's who this uh, next convention is named after. It's founder, Charlie's Comic Con 2023, January 28th at the Southwest Florida Masonic Temper in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, Folks in the know, in the comic book realm, know that Charlie Nunez is kind of an institution. So go down and say, hey, he's going to be able to hook you up with all kinds of amazing issues and rub elbows with comma creators par excellence have a great con charlie in frankfort kentucky that's right january 28th same day it's frankfort con 2023 at capitol plaza hotel yeehaw and i love this next one and i love the town it's in in spectacular absolutely un unmistakable the most astonishing home, Chicago, Illinois, at the Sheraton Grand Chicago, February 2nd to the 5th, 2023. It's Capricorn. That's a badass name, Chicagoans. That is absolutely great. Capricorn 2023. Start your February off with a bang, February 2nd and February 5th. That is three entire days. Wait, two, three, four, five, four entire days. I'm a counting on my fingers kind of guy. <laughs> That is four is that days of Chicago tomfoolery. You can get you you can you'll eat so much deep dish pizza. You'll you, oh. you'll visit oh, so many Irish bars. So Come on, let's oh. go right now. If we start walking oh, down, we go. Eric, we, we might go. make it. Oh, but Capricorn, uh, you want to spend uh, four great days that you'll never forget. That's a con I think you should hit. So <laughs> at the Sheridan is that Grand a Chicago, star Chicago star Illinois. Do you know Capricorn? It may be given the name. Let's let's That's just briefly. It could be, yeah, which is great, because that is a show that we uh, 
Capricorn is a science fiction convention held in the Chicago area. It doesn't really say that it's galactica-specific. Um, but they have been holding this convention in the Chicagoland area since 1981, cats. So really wow. impressive. Uh, that's a long time. They definitely know what they're doing there. I mean, and they should. They're in a phenomenal incredible town you only yeah. you gotta know what and you're doing fan, in chicago and the the thing about that convention is that it's a fan run one and that capricorn itself is a non-profit organization so when you go there and spend your money to get in you're like supporting a non-profit organization that's organized by fans so there it's like you're paying yourself i love it that's so cool man Fandemonium. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> They're gonna have a great time though, man. That's that's uh that's a that's an amazing uh fun be cold in the hell. But, mm-hmm. uh, but you'll be in a <laughs> yep. you'll be in a great hotel with some great fans and uh really uh ripping it up. So that's that's the one to mark on your calendars, friends. Uh get that year started correctly. Who knows what kind of crazy stuff's gonna be going on in early February. But uh no better place to be than in a rip roar in science fiction convention. Wouldn't you agree, my friend Charles? Oh, definitely. And I see one for a few of my friends. They wanna be definitely in Milwaukee as we go to Anime Milwaukee, February third through fifth at Wisconsin Center Hilton Milwaukee Convention. Center, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Or on my side of the country, Long Beach Comic Expo, February 11th and 12th at the Long Beach Convention Center, Long Beach, California. And then also in California, Megacon, February 11th and 12th, also at the PPAV Portugal Hall of Vesalia. Visalia, Visalia, California. I'm not sure where Visalia, California is. So, but I think yeah, not, Eric uh, wants to. Eric wants to do some news. I think we better uh, talk to the computer about some news. Yeah, let's let's get to some news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. All right, guys, all the stories that we're about to talk about in our Star Trek news section can be found in their entirety at TrekTalking.com, which will link you to our Facebook page, or rather than the Uncle Jim abridged versions of these articles. All right, Eric, why don't you get us started? Yeah, we've got some strange new worlds uh, here to kick it off. Uh, It turns out that it won the Saturn Award for Best Streaming Sci-Fi Series. That's right, the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds won for Best Streaming Science Fiction Series, beating Star Trek Discovery along with The Expanse, For All Mankind, Lost in Space, The Mandalorian, and The Orville New Horizons. On hand to accept the award were co-showrunners Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman, along with actor Ethan Peck, who, of course, plays number one. Right, Jim? Yes, or is it, or is it Captain Picard? <laughs> I get them confused. 
Strange New Worlds is the third show in the franchise to win the Best Series Saturn Award, joining the Next Generation and Discovery. Winning the Saturn Award is the second major accolade for the freshman season of, Star- of Strange New Worlds after being honored with the Legacy Award by the Hollywood Critics Association. Star Trek Lower Decks was also nominated for a Saturn for Best Animated Series, but it lost out to Star Wars The Bad Batch. Strange New Worlds was also up for a number of acting awards, but didn't get any wins. Series star Anson Mount, playing Captain Pike, was nominated for Best Actor in a Streaming Series, but he lost to Oscar Knight from Moon Knight. Jess Bush, who plays Chapel, lost Best Supporting Actress in a Streaming Series to Moses Ingram of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Ethan Peck, playing Spock, lost Best Supporting Actor in a Streaming Series to Elliot Page from The Umbrella Academy. And in a Star Trek coincidence, the award for Best Streaming Science Fiction Show was presented to Strange New Worlds by Lower Decks voice actor Jerry O'Connell, who, of course, voices Commander Ransom, and Next Generation's Denise Crosby, otherwise known as Tasha Yar. So congratulations to Strange New Worlds for winning another Saturn for the Star Trek franchise. I think that's great news, and I'm super happy for them. How about you, Paul? Well, my friend, it's time for me to get a big grip on this huge velvet curtain and pull it back and reveal things about Hollywood you had no idea about. Because I'm about to reveal plot details of the abandoned Star Trek IV film that was supposed to be with Chris Hemsworth, as revealed recently by the writers. Paramount's most recent attempt at a follow-up to Star Trek Beyond was a Star Trek IV project being developed that would bring back Chris Hemsworth as George Kirk. Because remember, we saw that in the 2009 Star Trek, right? That's how the, the whole story opened up. That project was close to production, including having a director, but it fell apart in 2018 due to salary negotiations with Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pine. No, I want more. No, I want more. No, I want more. No, I want more. The writing duo of J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay are currently the showrunners for another big genre franchise, Amazon's ambitious Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Their Trek script would have seen James T. Kirk, Chris Pine, reunited with his long-assumed dead father, George Kirk, Chris Hemsworth. The writing duo shared a few details about that script for the first time. Patrick McKay. The conceit was that through a cosmic quirk in the Star Trek world, Pine and Hemsworth characters were the same age. It was going to be a grandfather-son space adventure. Think Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in space. We were really thrilled about it. We had an original villain and a really cool 2001 Space Odyssey-esque sci-fi idea at the core. We worked on it for two and a half years with Lindsay Weber, our non-writing executive producer on Rings of Power, and an amazing director, S.J. Clarkson. The movie eventually fell apart. And it really was a heartbreak for us. But we would have loved to make that movie. I want to spoil a piece of it that's exciting. How they end up together. Can we do that, J.D.? J.D. Payne. Sure, why not? There's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Relics, that I'm sure many of you may have heard of, where they find Scotty, who's been trapped. I'm hearing a strange breathing. It sounds, sounds like someone's, uh, it's like that old movie A Stranger Calls. What is that breathing? Uh, where they find Scotty, who's been trapped in a transporter. I, I often get stalked. You know, I've had many a strange woman think that she can just, you know, call me up and stalk me. And I'm like, sorry, ma'am, that, 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 that store is closed. So you just have to, you know, move on. Keep your breathing and save it for someone else. I and mean, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> 
In Relics, they find Scotty, who's been trapped in a transporter for a couple of decades, and they're able to have a cool adventure with him. Our conceit was, what if right before the Kelvin impacted with that huge mining ship, George Kirk had tried to beam himself over to his wife's shuttle where his son Jim Kirk had just been born? And what if the ship hadn't completely exploded? What if it left some space junk? Think about when you send a text message and you've typed it out, but you haven't quite hit send. On the other side, they see those three little dots that someone has typed. It's like the transporter has absorbed his pattern up into the pattern buffer, but hadn't spit it out onto the other side. Wow, J.D. Payne, you're really giving me insights here. It was actually a safe copy of him that was in the computer, Patrick McKay. So the adventure is that Chris Pine and the crew of the Enterprise have to seek out the wreckage of the ship that his father died on because of a mystery and a new villain. In the ship, they stumble across his father's pattern. They beam him out, and he has no idea that no time has passed at all and that he's looking at his son. The, the adventure goes on from there. Wow, I think you're getting a, a, a really candid window into the development process of how a, a film can sound like a cool idea, but for various reasons, you've got to read between the lines, I suppose, in Hollywood, right? Uh, certainly in screenwriting. Uh, it did not come to pass. I, I know that it seems lately uh, the motion picture arm of Star Trek production has been having a heck of a time uh, pulling the trigger on uh, making things happen. Meanwhile, over on the uh, Paramount Plus side of things and the streaming side of things, all cylinders are firing, all pistons are pumping, and they are cranking out really good content um, with unchecked abandon. So uh, I would say uh, friends over there in uh, motion picture production, take a lesson from what's going on in Strange New Worlds right now because they're doing a great job there. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get to read some of these scripts someday or maybe they'll be uh, repurposed in some other form in the future. But uh, we've already seen Relics, and it's great. I don't know that we need Relics number two. Uh, But that's my take on Hollywood and Star Trek four. David, I think you're still out there, man. I I, I believe you're with me. Can I I get you to... uh, to bounce back from the other side of the gamma quadrant, David. David, are you there? <laughs> yeah, just hit the transporter button. I'll beam right over. <laughs> all right, so it looks like uh, my story is all 10 TOS and TNG Star Trek movies to stream on HBO Max starting November. Fans looking to binge watch the Star Trek movie franchise will have to subscribe to the HBO Max streaming service or the HBO Premium Cable Network. Starting November 1st, HBO will have all six TOS-era movies, including the recent director's cut of Star Trek The Motion Picture, as well as all four TNG-era Star Trek movies. The move to HBO is part of a previously agreed license deal that up, uh, predates the 2021 launch of Paramount+. Plus. The movies will remain on HBO for a few months, followed by some or all returning to Paramount. <clears throat> it was November 2021 when Paramount Plus finally first had the full 13 film library available to stream. But since then, prior licensing deals have resulted in various Trek films uh, exiting, only to return later. The last mass migration happened last summer when the first 10 films moved to AMC Plus only to return to Paramount Plus in the fall. What? All right. Go figure. Eric, uh, what's your story? 
Oh, man. I can't. I, I still can't believe that they put him on that network and took him off Paramount Plus. It's I know licensing deals and whatnot are important, but ugh, it's killing me. Um, well, this is a pretty exciting story because uh, for the longest time she was unable to visit, but now she has been able to. That's right. Kate Mulgrew was finally able to visit the Captain Janeway Monument in Bloomington, Indiana, which is her future birthplace. Uh, Bloomington, Indiana being the future birthplace of Captain Catherine Janeway of Star Trek Voyager, uh, the city recently erected a monument in Janeway's honor. Today, Kate Mulgrew visited Janeway. The Janeway Monument is located on the Beeline Trail next to the Wonderlab Museum in downtown Bloomington, Indiana. It was established in Star Trek Voyager that Catherine Janeway will be born in Bloomington, Indiana on May 20th, 2336. In 2019, the Captain Janeway Bloomington Collective fan group launched a successful campaign to fund the construction of a monument. And when it was unveiled in October 2020, Kate Mulgrew beamed in via video due to the pandemic. For the second anniversary, the Voyager and Prodigy star arrived in person. A perfect day to visit my statue in Bloomington, Indiana, courtesy of at Janeway Collect One. I recognize this as an extraordinary moment and an incredible honor. Thank you. And there are some great photos of her on the internet standing next to her statue. And I think when she's standing right next to it, I mean, granted, she is an older version of herself. But uh, remember when we talked about that statue when it was first unveiled, they had to make some slight changes to the way that the uh, likeness was portrayed so that it didn't exactly look like Kate Mulgrew. So you can see those differences when she's really standing right there, but still um, fantastic that the city, uh, not the city, that the fans of beautiful Bloomington, Indiana were able to put that together and that they finally got their captain there in person. I just think that's a really special moment. So congratulations to the Janeway collective for finally getting her on site. And Charles, uh, I believe you have one more story for us, don't you? Yes, I do. It's right down my line. All star, all six Star Trek comics by IDW that are currently out or coming out soon. Star Trek has said goodbye to a line of books under ID, Comi- ID Comics that numbered 400. But the end of the line doesn't mean Star Trek is coming to an end in, as a comic. But in fact, is refocusing its storytelling. The renumbered Star Trek series is back to number one and features Benjamin Sisko. He's teaming up with Data, Dr. Beverly Crusher, and send new recruits to find out who is causing intergalactic mayhem. He is not the only one who is partnering up. As Star Trek Defiant, we'll see Warp, Spock, Data's brother Lore, and others form a group to explore the universe alongside Cisco, just in a different ship, running television shows. Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, and Picard will be releasing or have released comics under IDW's banner. Star Trek Picard Stargazer will fill in the gap between seasons and help explain some of the things that came out during the leap between the time between episodes. The Lyrian Enigmia in will be Strange New World edition and will show how Captain Pike is dealing with things after the rest of Una. Lower Deck Comics, on the other hand, will simply be Lower Deck style episodes in comic book form. 
all three of these series are in mini series and may get extended runs depending on how they sell. The last comic that's coming out is a prequel to the new video game, Star Trek Resurgence, which will help set the table for a highly interactive, teletale-like game coming out early next year. Be sure to check your local comic book dealer if and when these books are coming out to a shelf near you, or for digital fans, Amazon's comic, uh, Comicology also will you to carry all of these. So more than if I don't have on my wish list, I need to put on my wish list. Lots of comic books for us to cover on Comic Corner. Uh, speaking of which, on Monday, we're going to be talking about Star Trek number one, which is the new Cisco adventure, and Mirror Wars episode or Mirror Wars issue zero, which was the prequel to the Mirror War uh, series. That'll be on Monday at 7.30 p.m. So check that out if you're interested in comic books. Well, guys, it's time to let your fingers do the walk and call Trek Talking at 646-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-666-
the Stars at Night episode. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans think about the season three finale of Star Trek Lower Decks? Well, Jim, they liked it quite a bit. Uh, Laquia Thrushbane said 10. And for the entire season, another 10. Cracking show. I love it. Thank you, Laquia. I could not agree with you more. Wes Huntington also gave it a big 10. Joel Mercer gave it a 10. Reminded me of the TOS episode, The Ultimate Computer. You and me both, buddy. Uh, excellent uh, connection point. Uh, made pretty directly in some of the graphics we see in the show. So thanks, Joel. Jeffrey Jenkins gave it a 10 plus. We record that as an 11, right, guys? Uh, this reminds me when Control took over Discovery Season 2. Interesting. Brian Payne said it was just an A for him. I felt like the previous episode was better as a season finale, and this could have been the first episode of Season 4. Overall, though, Season 3 was pretty strong. Top fan Matt May gave it a 9, and top fan Eric Nagamine gave it an 8. I actually cheered up when mm, came to the rescue. <laughs> top fan Matt May gave it a 9, and top fan Jean-Francois Lesou gave it a 9-10. Best episode of the third season. And finally... Alan Proctor gave it a 10. It had everything you would expect from Trek Away missions. Surveys, humanitarian aid, savoring and preserving life, camaraderie, peril, uh, AI gone rogue, sacrifice to save others, bravery, heroism, and Starfleet saving the day, as well as some nods to past Trek and humor all along the way. I think it's amazing that there are people who still don't consider Lower Decks to be, quote, real Trek. The finale was as real and authentic as it gets. That, you guys, gives us a final fan score of a 9.3. And uh, you know what? That puts us right up there in terms of the episodes from this season. Uh, Let's see. 9.3 9.3 puts us uh, right alongside the finale and just a skosh lower than episode six, which our fans gave a 9.4. So, um, so this was really just a solid episode that it seems like the fans really, really liked. And it seems like a lot of people commented on how it, it felt like a, a fitting end to the season. So uh, before we dig in, we probably should pay a little bit of attention to the trek that came before that reminds us of this trek, shouldn't we, Charles? Yes, we should. Take it away, Charles. All right. Look up because I was looking at something. Okay. I didn't do a lot for birthdays, so I'm going to be making it up in cadet training. <clears throat> With a cup help a couple sources, boy, did I find a lot of links to this episode. Let's start off with LDS. We do three shifts from Season 2, Episode 9 of Lower Decks, where we see three different Lower Deck crews, including a new Vulcan crew member. TLS. Let's just summarize by just saying Dr. McCoy. I'm a doctor and not a fill in the blank. As we have a McCoy quote in there 
when referencing our the Doctor. TNG is Captain's Holiday, Season 3, Episode 19. We see Ferengis fighting over artifacts. DS9's Emperor's New Cloak, Season 7, Episode 12. Where we see Quark sitting there looking at a golden idol. Very similar to an idol we saw on board with Mariner. TNG's Naked Now, Season 1, Episode 3. As I hear somebody say, let's do command level, command data level work. <laughs> it's just isolinear chips, high speed. That's right. And we see Jada, Data plugging in isolinear chips as fast as he can. TNG's Inner Child, Season 2, Episode 1. We get the introduction to the Riker Maneuver. Mm-hmm. As number one has a demonstrate to his crew members. To some of our new Trek fans, the Riker Maneuver being the step over the chair to sit in it rather than go in front of it and sit down. Exactly. And that was the first time we saw that. His, 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 one of his main moves. DS9's Meridian, episode, Season 3, Episode 8. The Brigadon Planet, the planet that's there and then phases out. LDS's Reflection, Season 3, Episode 5, where we learn about Rutherford's surgery. LDS Termal Provocations, Season 1, Episode 6, The Origins of Badgie and the Texas Ship Code. LDS Seasons 1 through 3, The Cali Class Ships. <laughs> Look it up to your shelf. I found out all kinds of Cali class ships we have seen this season. Or all three, all three seasons we have different Cali class ships. And there are a bunch of them that have been referenced. So, Jim, I think we might want to actually review this episode. Yeah, you guys want to talk about it? What do you say? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, let's dive right in. So, first of all, Let's start off. You, you guys watch the credits, right? I hope. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's oh, difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very hard to watch the credits on Paramount+. Plus. It pisses me off. Yes. I know. You got to like, oh, click over. Yeah. You, you, they don't let you watch the credits. You, you, it's a pain in the ass. Mm. But it's worth yeah. it in this particular episode because there's an after credits, like, a Marvel Cinematic Universe type scene at the end. Last time I think they did this for Star Trek was uh, the one with uh, the lower, the uh, Short Treks episode where they did the Tribble serial, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. That was, that was yeah, funny. That was a serial, by the way. Yeah. So it, you had to go and watch the credits at the end, and we actually get to see Badgie. And uh, Rutherford says that that he used the badgie code or the the codes to write badgie, who went on an evil murder spree. If you guys remember that episode, and uh, the evil admiral in this episode used that same code to make his ships, which is why they went crazy. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this, are we seeing the beginning of perhaps control? Control, which you know, which. <laughs> You, you think maybe this was control that, that, you know, growing and festering and, and then finally taking, taking hold. 
in Discovery season two. And going two. back in time. You know, we well, never know. It doesn't have to be the same evil AI because, as one of our astute listeners already pointed out, we also have M5 computer references from the Ultimate Computer in this episode. So I think it's more of kind of like just that Starflake, Star Trek likes to return to this idea of exploring, you know, what it what it means to have artificial thinking machines, um, you know, taking our jobs, <laughs> as Tendi said, you know. Uh, I think it's a, it's in science fiction, it's one of those topics that we kind of return to over and over again because it it makes us question all sorts of things from, like, what do we do all day to what does it mean to be a human to uh, is it safe to let machines do things for us to, oh, my God, they're killing us now, right? And it's been permutated, like, so many times. But it's kind of interesting the way they're kind of weaving this together in Lower Decks, and they're uh, bringing it all back to Rutherford and his his AI code and connecting Badgie and the Texas class and Rutherford, honestly, together in this episode was, to me, freaking brilliant. I thought it was great. Didn't see it coming. Um, and it was just like this fun thing that was like, oh, wow, this is really cool how they're revealing and kind of bringing it all together uh, in the one, one, you know, sewn up story. Um, I was very impressed. Well, let's talk uh, about Pearl in the room. We can't let that go. Aww. And his name was Boyne Amigo. He was a good friend. <laughs> he was an evil friend. A good friend of who? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Well, Another I mean, evil that I didn't personally see that coming. Uh, I thought Buen Amigo was going to be kind of like the antithesis of that. So I was a little, we were joking before the show um, when I was saying that, you know, I was, I was disappointed because I kind of wanted him to be a good guy. I don't know. What did you guys think? <laughs> evil. Evil, <laughs> evil, evil. evil. Paul, did you want him to be Paul, a good what guy? what do you think about the, the big reveal that he's evil? I don't know that it was like a like a jaw dropper, right? I mean, it's, no. It's, I think there were some clues scattered throughout there, but uh, you know, he, he's kind of mock evil, right? I mean, it's just. Uh, uh, I think he's a funny character, right? I mean, whoever the actor is who's, who's playing him, uh, he kind of delivers things with a mock kind of seriousness accent. It's like he's even when he's saying something. Uh, awful and uh, nefarious and uh, potentially psychotic he has a warmth in his voice to make you just think oh he's not such a bad guy <laughs> but uh, he's, he's i have to look up and see who it is who plays that, that character but uh, but yeah it's i thought he was he's he's you know entertaining you know and then you've got the you know at the, all of the starfleet meetings that they're all making the decisions on right it's just like you've got the whole phalanx of other admirals stone-faced <laughs> Of course, half of them have to be older women because that's next gen, right? So it's just, it's just really funny. But uh, no, I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun, you know. I, I, I enjoyed this one. Played by, I really. Uh, uh, sorry, Buen Amigo is played by Carlos Alazraki. Alaz, uh, is that how you pronounce that? Alazraki? Carlos Alazraki. So there you yeah, go. probably Alas Rocky, as is my guess. Yeah. He's a my problem character. with this episode is when the ship that they're on is right, the Aledo, right? A L E D O. Yeah. But um, I kept hearing it being pronounced Alito, right? For the, right. So the first part of, of the show. I'm like, did they name uh, 
California or, or a, a Texas class ship after Samuel Alito, the disgraced bastard Supreme Court judge. I mean, is that oh, is that God. what they did? <laughs> is that what they did? <laughs> Here comes the Alito, and I'm like, that's hilarious. And then we're like, oh wait, it's spelled that way. Named after beautiful Alito, Texas, in Parker County. That's right. Well, there you go. See, my 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 Texas knowledge is is sparing. I've, yeah. I know just enough to get through it. But yeah, Carlos, we love you. We do, we do. Boy Amigo is a great character, and the reveal here is good, and it's actually kind of believable. And there's even comedy to it as well, even though it's kind of a dire situation. Like the Cerritos gets hammered uh, in this episode and, you know, you're kind of wondering if you're going to lose it. Like, is this going to be, yeah. you know, next, next season, are we going to get the Cerritos a, <laughs> because they, they really do a number on it. Um, but I know. It's just like, I, uh, help me out guys. Cause I like watched both these new episodes, like back to back last night. As soon as this was over, I watched prodigy. Right. So I've forgotten a couple of things, but when Amigo's not dead, right. He's still alive. No, he gets uh, like we no, don't the, know. Well, I mean, we don't really know, but like the the robot ship like basically sh- fires directly at the office that he's sitting in, and it it looks like he gets blown away. I mean, if he survives, I don't know how it he survives. No, he can but, just beam out at the last minute. It's science. I mean, he can. Right? There's nobody. Something can always happen. You'll yeah. he'll do the George Kirk move, right? That we just yeah. learned about from those. Awesome screenwriters from Rings of Power. So <laughs> uh, he probably just cloned himself a bunch of times, and he has a bunch. Yeah, of there'll be some magical excuse. I only mention it because I really I just enjoy the character. I hope he I hope he comes back. You know, it's yeah. like if you need somebody to come back as a villain seeking revenge, I would like it to be uh, Admiral Buenamigo, disgraced. Mm-hmm. Can have a whole con story arc. I love it. I love it. No, it was it was a good episode. What did you think about it, David? Yeah. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it. I liked Chris. I liked the uh, surprising um, uh, reveal. Um, I liked the fact that Rutherford was basically kind of like he saved everybody, basically, after finding out that it was his code that he wrote. And... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I watched it like a week ago, so I'm trying to remember a lot from it. So um, not a whole lot of funny lines from this episode, from what I remember, but not even a very lot of uh, – there wasn't very many um, Star Trek references either, although I probably missed them all. But, um, <laughs> yeah, well, we, uh, it was pretty good. Oh, what? I was going to say the one cool thing that we got, David, which uh, maybe I, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, is what about the bee story? What about the Mariner story and the mysterious benefactor that's driving her, huh? her story? Oh, um, well, that whole sequence definitely reminded me of um, Indiana Jones. A lot of Star Wars references for some reason, like the, that ship you don't really see a Star Trek ship that's not very symmetrical. And this ship that they were on just looks like the Millennium Falcon <laughs> to me. I was just like, okay, that definitely looks like Star, Star Wars. And then the whole reference to Hans, even Tendi didn't know who Hans was until Boimler said it was a tower guy, you know. It's just like, it just seems like they're throwing a little bit of Star Wars in there. I was just like, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. But to me, um, yeah, I think the benefactor 
I think it's uh, to me when they talk about money, the only people in Star Trek universe that ever deals with money that I can ever think of is the Ferengi. And of course, you saw the Ferengi chasing Mariner out of the temple or whatever they're excavating the site. And um, it just makes me wonder if it's like Nog who's excavating it or something, or you know, the benefactor, basically. So could be. Oh. I mean, it's the Grand Nagus. Uh, well, what I was uh, referencing, sorry, was the fact that we find out uh, in that episode that Admiral Picard is actually the one who's supplying the money that, um, you know, yeah. that basically Mariner and her partner are, are using to, like, go save these artifacts and return them to museums. I thought that was, like, the perfect tie-in to Picard's love of archaeology and, you know, the fact that he would use whatever resources. Uh, I yeah, forgot some- about that. Now, there's some money questions, you know, like why would Picard have the money to do this maybe when other people didn't yeah. have the money? But, you know, you got to figure there's some kind of – there has to be some kind of money. Like Picard has this Currency. wine, right? What does he do with the wine? Well, like, does he he's wine? selling the wine, and if, he, if he's selling the wine outside of the Federation, they would have money, right? The money could go towards this type yeah. of thing, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I thought that was kind of a cool. I thought that was kind of a cool reveal. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't really know who it was going to be until it was revealed, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool that they're tying that into it. You know, he's still around. He's still relevant uh, in the lower decks uh, realm. Um, there, I will admit that David, I totally agree. There weren't quite as many of those like one-line zingers, but there were some really good ones. Uh, the, I, for me, the entire sequence after. Uh, Freeman says maximum warp me and then you go <laughs> into that whole thing with like Shaq ejecting the work core and um, you know you yeah. get like the Tamarian like he's like Arnok on the night of his joining as Shax is like walking towards the work <laughs> core <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, just, will, I, I will, love that yeah, I, I could say sorry I, I do have to admit I do feel a little sad that they didn't do the conversion of the Strange New World like they I thought they were going to be doing for this season. But I guess that's next season, so hopefully. I don't that's Strange New World season. Right, right. It's Strange New World who's bringing Lower Decks people onto it. I thought they were going to bring uh, nope. to Lower Deck. Nope. Uh, he, he's coming in the future sometime. <laughs> we don't but know the one that's been announced uh, is the one that's on Strange New Worlds, yeah. Okay. Well, but Anson, guys, how- Anson Mount said that we were going to get to see an animated version of him on Lower yeah, Deck. Yeah, that's what I was going to do. But that's in the future. And now the season's over, so it's obviously not this season. It'll have to be next season. So I stand true to my statement. I was a little sad that he didn't come in this season. <laughs> well, we yeah, we'll have that, to wait. But- but here's your trivia question for this episode. And maybe Charles knows this one. I don't know. He often knows the trivia. Maybe somebody else does. How many California class ships come to the rescue at the end of the episode? 23.1. That's very close. A little higher. It is 25. Not- it, it's so close. It's 28 California class ships come and they name every single one of them. And if you go, uh, there's actually this great uh, website that you can find um, called tldrmoviereviews.com 
they just did a post on the 29th where they actually mapped out all of the cities that are named in all of the California mm. class ships. And they show you this um, California map that kind of shows you where all the cities are. And the only major city that's not represented, which is, uh, is San Francisco. And that makes a lot of sense since that's already got mass representation because Starfleet headquarters is there, but it's kind of cool um, that they, somebody took the time to go find all those cities and put them on a map for Star Trek fans to find. <laughs> Does it make us Star Trek people? Was that David? Does it make a Star Trek symbol? Uh, no. All the cities on the map. <laughs> that, would be, that would be pretty amazing, but no, it does not. <laughs> so yeah, we get like I I don't know I love the so if we kind of we're bouncing around a little bit, but you know you get the California clashes. If we go back to the the B story of Mariner, you know I I think that it, it's cool that you got to see her. It actually it's funny you said it reminded you of Star Wars. It definitely had some Star Wars vibe. I thought maybe it also had a little bit of like Fenris Ranger type vibe, and for whatever reason, their asymmetrical ship reminded me a little book ship, even though the design didn't really look at it, look like it. But the fact that it was asymmetrical, you're right, David. Very atypical in Star Trek, right? Most of the time, we've got those bilaterally symmetrical ships um, that look the same. It looks like it only had one warp engine. (laughs) It did, just one nacelle. Yep, real tight to the body. Uh, so not one of those things where uh, they usually use the pylons to get the the nacelle out there to be able to form the warp bubble in the right way if you read the technical manual. So somehow the ship does it all with it, with it really close, and it doesn't need those uh, those extensions out there. But the fact that they're stealing from black market thieves, you know, they kind of read as like Tomb Raiders, but yet they're good guys. So I, I like that. Um, and I like that... Uh, at the end um, there we get the return of one of my personal favorites in all of Star Trek Lower Decks. I love the Vulcan to Lynn. How excited are you guys to have her back? Oh, I've been waiting waiting for that tie-in. I've been waiting for that tie-in to show up. It's like, where is she? She's got to show up. And there she is. Yep, here she is. And, and I just, yeah, go ahead. And she's just this quiet person. Oh, my study buddy. Come on, everybody, <laughs> meet my new study buddy. Can we please find a quiet <laughs> space to discuss my new <laughs> position? <laughs> yes. After you go meet everybody. Oh, Tindy's just reaction just is great. And don't forget that now Boimler is in the bear pack. So yep. um, that that makes me happy because there's this like tension between him and Shax during the whole episode. And by the end, all is forgiven. And Shax is just such a great character because he's like this big dude with a giant chip on his shoulder from being oppressed, you know, and part of the Bajoran resistance and stuff. And yet he's got a big giant heart, right? <laughs> He's all soft and gooey on the inside. We still don't know. Yeah, but I'm still wondering. Dead, but... Yeah, I'm still wondering how did they bring him back? You know, how did yeah. how did they get him back from dying? It was just like hmm, they never really explained that. We, we don't, don't talk how, about that. Well, well, we, we, we connected. We like in this episode, we talk. They talk a little bit about Shaxx's yeah. death and how it's connected to the dude, right? Yes, it's because his death is connected to the badgy 
code language that helped destroy the ship that uh, Shax died on. <gasps> Do you guys think that Shax is like a a badgy android of Shax or something? <laughs> oh no! I bet you. I bet you he's Cybok in disguise. Oh <laughs> uh, no, he's Lord 2.0. Yep, could be. Moriarty. <laughs> so, Charles, what did you think about the episode on a, on a scale of 1 to 10? What would you give it? Oh. I think with everything and the wrap, tying up of all the details, because there were so many loose, en- loose ends, and they just turned around and tied up all these loose ends that we did Rutherford's story got tall. He got our lower deck member back. <clears throat> we got our new Vulcan. I think they just took everything in a nice little bow, wrapped it up, and then warned us that we're going to probably have something back with badging next. I'm going to go pretty much with a sense on this one. I'm going to go with a 9.5. 9.5, respectable, respectable. How about you, Eric? Yeah, Jim, uh, I thought this was a great episode. I had so much fun. It made me laugh. The battle scenes were fantastic. Some of the one-liners were great. I didn't spend seven up in the years in an Oberth class to get knocked down to station position. I mean, Ta'an is one of my favorites. Um, I give this episode a 9.7. It was great, and I just really couldn't find many flaws with it at all. How about you, Paul? I'd probably check in around, like, for me, I'd say uh, I'll give it a, I'll give it an eight. I think it's appropriate, right? I think uh, I like the, uh, I like the show for when they're really going for the comedy and when there's a lot of good character interactions. Um, the one, uh, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of it, but uh, the one that began with them all playing the Klingon board game, right? That particular episode, it's like, all the action was confined on this ship, right? It was really a bottle episode. And so uh, it's all character stuff and it's all shtick and it's all comedy. And I just love that stuff. Um, when like half of last, this last episode, there was these, you know, ridiculously elaborate space battles. Right. And I, I, it, it's just me though. It's not them. It's just me. I just check out on that stuff, man. I find those things just incredibly boring. I mean, it's just where it's like, okay, we got one ship, we got 10 ships, we got 30 ships. It's like the more of the stuff that there is, the less engaging and threatening it is. It's just like, it's, it's just kind of, you know, to me, it just disengages me. It's like, I want to be with the characters and getting humor and comedy and, and being caught up in their situations. Right. When it's the, the stuff with Shaxx is great. All of that. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I like seeing Mariner reunited with everyone because I like that dynamic there. But, but you know, I, I feel like they're trying to be two kinds of show then. They're trying to be a comedy show, but they're also trying to be the big adventure show with the big special effects. And I don't think it succeeds on that level. It, it doesn't seem like it works for me. So that's why I'm shaving a couple of points off my score, just because I was, you know, kind of just checked out for like, six or seven minutes while they were like really trying to show off all these effects. And I'm like, that's for somebody else's show. I don't really think that's a lower decks thing. All right. And how about, how about you? What do you think, David? Um, yeah, I, 
I'm pretty much up there with Eric and uh, um, score of 9.5. I'm I'm leaning between either a 9.5 or a 10 because there's a lot of good things. I'm I'm kind of uh, wanting to rewatch it now, but um, if I rewatched it, I'd probably end up giving it a 10 because I just kind of forgotten most of what I've seen last week. So um, definitely. Going with the past scores that I've given it, um, I love Lower Decks. I love the humor. I love the action. I love the characters. I love the the whole storyline and plots and twists and everything that's going on. But um, except for that boat episode. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. so the um, the idea of there's so many different things that was going on. I mean, the idea of that ransom was training the command crew to do the Riker maneuver. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> and um, the uh, yeah, the overall the the twist. I really like. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna give it. A, yeah, it's a ten. It's a ten for me. I I'm probably gonna like it even more when I rewatch it again. So, um, yeah, that's what I score it. Ten. Well, I I love this one. I it, it was um, when Lower Decks feels like a live action show to me, and I'm not watching a cartoon. That's how I know they've hit all the chords, and this one did. This one had it all. And Mariner stealing the idol. I, I was hearing the Indiana Jones theme in my head. Dun da 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 dun da da, and she's swinging across the chasm. She's got the little gold trophy and. I was thinking Indiana Jones, and I, I loved it right straight through and through. When we found out we had another evil admiral, I chuckled, and I thought of Eric right away. And there was just so much good stuff in this that they tied everything together, like Charles said. They didn't end it on a cliffhanger. We got a new character, which we knew was coming eventually. Um, when all the Cali ships showed up at the end, if you guys noticed, we get to see all of the different characters that we hear mentioned and that we have seen through the first three seasons of lower decks. They all show up here. And I, I thought that they did a great job of, of tying it all up. So um, I'm going to go with a 10. I'm going to go with, with, uh, with David and give this one a 10. So uh, that wraps up our review of lower decks uh, season finale for season three. So um, you guys ready to talk about some prodigy? What do you think? Return to prodigy. Yeah, we got some prodigy. So, as I said, this is a double feature, guys. So, uh, before I do that, though, I do have a clip. Uh, where is it? Where, right here. Hi, I'm Kate Mulgrew, and I voiced Catherine Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy. This week's lesson is about those times when we need to take a leap of faith. A leap of faith is a risk we take with no guarantee we'll be successful. Maybe this was a bad idea. It can be scary taking that kind of a chance and requires us to trust in our abilities. We're jumping! In this week's episode of Star Trek Prodigy, Dahl and the rest of the crew must undergo a literal leap of faith when they go on a spacewalk to escape an unsafe situation. The math needs to be precise. But, but there's so many variables. Jumping out into space is a terrifying endeavor, but they trust their instincts. And more importantly, they trust each other. We'll follow your lead, Rock. Enough to take the chance. So 
So Asylum is the season one, episode 11. And you might be asking yourself, Uncle Jim, why is it, why is it season one and episode 11? Because uh, Star Trek Prodigy is being produced for Nickelodeon, which are 20 episode seasons and not 10 episode seasons like everything else. So they broke it up into two half seasons. So there will be a total of 20 episodes of Prodigy to make up season one. So this is season one, episode 11, Asylum. At the edge of Federation space, the crew applies for asylum at a comm relay outpost. And as usual, I asked you guys on our face page to score this episode on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the best. And Eric, what did our Facebook fans think about Prodigy Asylum? Fan Wes Huntington said best Episode yet of Prodigy, 10 out of 10. Top fan Tatiuan Yu said 10 without a doubt and gave it a double thumbs up. Max Antani said a perfect 9. Scott Langman said a 1. I'm not going to lie. I actually find this show boring. Dustin S. Wing gave it a 5. It was all a recap, which is fine after the break, but going back for a binge watch, there's not much here we didn't already know. Spencer Smith said another high rating of a nine. This series never disappoints. Top fan Chris Troni said six. This episode didn't feel the same as the others. As a mid-season return, it lacked a punch slash hook. Our first in-person Starfleet meeting, and he abandons our crew to die. Little character development. The longest self-destruction sequence in the history of the franchise felt like a boring car chase. Prodigy is great for its storytelling, and this episode was lacking. Looking forward to Admiral Janeway and the continuation of the story. Live long and prosper. Annette Net Lahek said 10, a great episode. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Need the next one ASAP, LOL. Dane Yoshida gave it a 9 with a big smiley face. And Dan Martin gave it a 7. A seven. And that gives us a fan score this week of 7.6 so returning from the break uh you know episode 11 uh before we had seen scores such as 8.2 6.9 8.3 8.4 9.7 for a moral star point two fans are scoring this one a couple of points lower so uh what did you guys think well i Let's see. Charles, you got a couple of things you want to mention to us? Well, wow. 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 Uh, we could throw the comment. Yeah, there's a lot on there. We could hit high points on that list. Yeah. Pick out some of the best ones. Well, okay. Pod indicates it's not the first time he's been eaten alive. The mini sub designated 07. We presume that the ship's been, it's the seventh item constructed by the replicator. Looked a little bit like a jellyfish, but without the spinny part. Yeah, yep. definitely. Uh, this one I'm not sure the details on. The station's designation was CR721. Could be part of the Pathfinder project. And I'm not Maybe. familiar I think... with the Pathfinder. Uh, well, Pathfinder was the project that was started by was it was it Admiral uh, Paris? 
to find the Voyager when it was out there. Um, and so, uh, you know, this being the furthest outpost, I could see that connection. But I actually, I think the next fact you're going to say is much more interesting. The protostar can extend an energy barrier that works as an airlock bridge. That yeah, was definitely the first time we've we've seen <laughs> air, a bridge go across, but not an airlock bridge like that. Well, with just an energy barrier, like in remember in Discovery, yeah. they have these kind of elaborate mechanical things that sort of crank out the bridge, and you know, I thought this yeah. was cool. Same thing, strange new world, strange thing, same thing. Yeah. Frex was worried the ship arriving meant he was being transferred to the Gamma Quadrant or one of my favorite places, Nimbus <laughs> 3. <laughs> I thought that was Share great. Share your pain on Nimbus 3. <laughs> Share your pain with me. What else? Uh, uh, I like that. I like the fact that Dow species is recognized by Starfleet. But, but as, soon as, it, yeah. as soon as it's scanned, they should notify Starfleet. Yeah. Something about freak. his species that's important to Starfleet. He's a Borg man. <laughs> and let's see. The Dauntless located Tars Lamora inside the Canary Nebula in the Delta Quadrant. That was interesting. And uh, here's a funny one. Did the Protostar replicator not have a pattern for hot dogs? Interesting. <laughs> or they didn't know what hot dogs were. Not a help. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> so let's talk about the episode a little bit. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's dive right yeah. in. So, so uh, Paul, why don't you get us started on Prodigy Asylum? What did you think? I liked it. I like this show. I uh, I think one of the main reasons I'm I'm fond of it. Well, two reasons really is uh, it's got a really strong visual aesthetic. Um, it feels uh, very much a piece of the Star Trek universe with the design of things, but I feel like it's, uh, you know, oh, God, you're going to hate me. Um, in some ways, better than Discovery, at kind of showing you what a futuristic next step of that design looks like. Right? I mean, uh, you know, Discovery is showing us like hundreds of years in the future version of how things will be designed and more improved and more futuristic from like a Star Trek perspective. But I almost feel like they have a stronger handle of it on this show in terms of the design of things and the, the way the, the ships function and things. I feel like it seems like it's a more organic extension of where we've been on the more recent shows like, like Voyager and whatnot. So. Um, it, it, it's a great fit to me. So they have a really strong visual look. They really convey uh, big environments well, okay? Instead of just, you know, saying, okay, we're, if you're in a, a piece of space between the ship and the station, for example, it's almost like they make it, uh, design it as a shot where it almost feels like they're using a really compressed, a wide angle lens to just immerse you in there, but it feels like a big empty space. Um, so their visual uh, design on the show is super strong. It feels very cinematic. It's really avert, immersive. And what's great is amidst all that epic stuff and all that grandeur, you have really likable characters, right? It's like this show is designed to be something that gives, you know, younger viewers a first exposure to some of the ideas uh, of, and, and rhythms of a Star Trek story, right? But it, it transcends that purpose, and they're really likable, fun characters. You enjoy spending time with them, right? I mean, 
even though they're doing like stuff that you can write off as being juvenile, right? Like by having, you know, Jenkins Pog, you know, gorge himself on hot dogs, right? And, you know, burping humor and all that kind of stuff, right? But it's like, they're very likable. And when something goes wrong and somebody's in a sense of, uh, uh, of, of, of jeopardy, right? When Gwyn's in the tank and it's starting to flood, right? Everyone's very concerned for her and very genuinely trying to figure out, you know, uh, how do we help our friend, right? And that comes across really well. It's super engaging. So you really like it when you're watching it because uh, these are people that it's super easy to root for, uh, I find, right? I mean, there's a lot of comedy in there as well, but it's natural comedy. It's comedy that's reassuring uh, for kids and stuff like that. I love it when uh, they're, they're first, I think it's when they're on the station, if I'm not mistaken, when they're first exploring the station, I, I think it's there that they've made the jump over there and rocks like asking about science and the computer's like, there are, you know, 79 different scientific disciplines or whatever it is. Right. I mean, that's really fantastic because you can't help but picture people in the audience and kids in the audience are going, wow, there's that much different kinds of science. I had no idea. So the characters are great at representing, um, the audience they're trying to appeal to. So um, I found it really, uh, really, really fun um, and engaging. Um, but I felt like you got kind of a double dose of good engagement with this one because I really like that you are getting back with the characters and you have a new story and they're kind of like, wow, we kind of stole the ship, but we're trying to do the right thing and bring it back and and admit what we're doing and hope that you'll accept us because of that. I mean, that's that's great, but I love the compliment story that you're getting, you know, not hologram, but real Janeway. Right. Uh, again, and, and she's trying to figure out what's going on with, uh, with Chakotay, you know, what happened to him? And we're seeing this recording of them and he looks a little bit different and uh, more mature in some ways, still very cool, but I want to know about that storyline. Right. I want to find out how that happens. So I think we're going to be getting kind of like, dovetail story threads right but i'm super excited because we're getting like a unexpected voyager sequel after all these years right i mean isn't that what you guys are seeing that's starting to unfold oh yeah for sure yeah i I mean mean, that's one of the best things about the show is that you get these stories of what happened to these characters afterward and granted they've only taken a couple of characters under consideration so far but who doesn't want to know more about them? I, I'm with you. I can't wait to find out more about Chakotay. Yeah, I was super intrigued by that by that clip, right? I mean, they only just gave us a little bit, but I like that they, you know, it wasn't like, okay, here's a giant dollop of exposition to kind of, you know, it was more like, yeah. okay, here's here's intriguing stuff. We're going to give you little hints of something, but we're not going to give you any answers, but but we're going to clearly make you want to know what's up with these characters. I just found that really engaging and kind of, you know, I mean, the, uh, the phrase I keep coming back to with uh, Prodigy is delightful. I, I just think it's really clever and smart and uh, engaging. And uh, it's kind of rare that there's not one character that you don't like, right? I'm, I'm, I wasn't crazy about the guy on his PlayStation. <laughs> it was just kind of a <laughs> bit of an annoying schlub. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of, all right, dude. You know, it was uh, he didn't have a lot to offer, uh, but uh, but as far as the crew of the Protostar, I think they're lovely. Um, uh, always enjoy them because they're always very different. Um, I especially like Zero. I'm really intrigued to see what they do with that character because I think there's a real sensitivity there that's really great. Um, 
I spend way more time than I should be uh, worrying about Gwyn and what's going to happen with her. <laughs> but that just means that I'm engaged. It means that I care about the characters, right? Um, I think she's terrific and really well drawn. And uh, I just look forward to this show. I mean, I think they had to do uh, what one of the uh, fan uh, critics was talking about. Was it Dustin? I can't remember. I think it was Dustin Wing. But there was a lot of, you know, kind of getting us back into the vibe. I mean, the story is kind of like really conscious of the fact that there's been like a break for the viewers and we're kind of getting everyone back up to speed again and kind of setting the stage for people who maybe haven't watched the show before until now. So, I mean, there was a little bit of that. But for me, I was perfectly happy to ignore that um, because I was intrigued um, and uh, I had a really, really good time watching it. So for me, it was just a a welcome return uh, to a terrific franchise. So what do you think? One to ten. Oh, I would give it a ten. Yeah, I think uh, a ten. I really admire what they're up to. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, um, younger viewers, I I hope younger viewers are finding this show. Um, but you don't need to be a younger viewer to just dig the hell out of it. That would be my summation, right? I think it's delightful. And uh, it just feels like good Star Trek, right? It doesn't feel like they're trying to be 10 different things and trying to be clever and, you know, appeal to everybody because demographic research said we should. It just feels like good Star Trek, right? I feel like it's got its roots firmly planted in everything that came before over the last, you know, you know 20 years or so. I love it. Well, David, how are you going to follow up a 10, buddy? Uh, I'm going to have to give this point a pretty low score because I kind of have to agree with one of the fans when they said that it didn't get them hooked and it didn't get me hooked. Um, Going from a break between 10 and 11, it was just like I kind of got confused a little bit from what happened in the last episode. And since I haven't seen it in a while – Getting to different things, I even when lost her memory, I was like, uh, a strange connection trying to go from 10 to 11. It was like, it hooked me that much. So, bad on the part, I guess, to break the season up. But um, to me, I, I, I did enjoy the show. I, I have enjoyed the previous episodes. I'm going to have to actually binge watch now just to uh, see about, like, what all I've forgotten. But um, it's a pretty low score just because of that break they had. really kind of got me everything wired in. So I'm probably a seven. A seven. All right. Eric, we got a 10, we got a 7. Where are you going to fall? Uh, I'm probably going to be more at that end of the scale uh, towards where Paul is. I really thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Uh, I like those kind of like Star Trek four tie-ins with the and, you know, the fact that they were saving this thing. I, I like that Janeway is giving the crew, like, interesting things to do to train them to make them more Starfleet along the way. And I like that the crew is motivated to want to find Starfleet because – they've kind of been told the stories by Janeway of how awesome Starfleet is. And they're all looking forward to getting there and kind of finding meaning for their lives. So I love that. I love some of the reveals. We find out um, rock talk species. We find out Murph's species. We got lots of Admiral Janeway. We get that scene with Chakotay that you were just talking about. Uh, The scene that Paul mentioned where they mentioned like 196 branches of science. I mean, that 
I, I can just see little minds opening as they watch that, right? And going, yeah, yes. oh, man, that's amazing. Um, so I, I just, like, I was totally engaged in the story. I love the kind of mystery of the protostar as this weapon thing, right? So now we've got a, a Trojan horse style uh, subplot that has kind of been injected into this. So the protostar up until now has kind of been the, it's been the savior, right? It's been the, the lifeboat, the, the raft that's taking us home. It's been not unlike uh, the Voyager in, in some ways. And yet now there's this subplot where actually the ship may not be all this cracked up to be. And maybe there's a little bit of it that's a little bit evil that we need to, to deal it with. It is a weapon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I really dig the complexities that they're weaving into it, although they are keeping it simple for little minds as well. But like, like Paul said, I don't think it's a kid's show. I think it's kid appropriate. Um, but it's, it, to me, it's the show that has the biggest heart, the Star Trek show with the biggest just straight up heart. I give this episode uh, a 9.8. It was very, very, very good, and I loved it. All right, Charles, what about you? Well, I think the guys forgot. They talk about all the science stuff, and we got the we forget the one great scene. They sit there, and it's like, okay, we got to jump to get this ship. And they all took the rock cog. It's like, me? Yeah. You're the scientist. Oh. And then he starts thinking, it's like, okay, if I do, if we she do does. this and yeah. this, and all those formulas start popping up. And most of them are like, okay, I'm not sure what formulas are showing up, but yet, but yet he's using all this she... mathematics to sit there and target, where should I go? Yeah. And it's like, there's science. That is science. And she's so empowering in that scene, right? Yeah. Where she's she's just like, you're like, here's this, first of all, they make this giant rocky creature that's really a little girl inside, which is amazing. And then they make her like the smartest person in the group, which is also amazing. <laughs> yes. They just, <clears throat> they really make those, that character just, those characters are just so strong. I'm not quite as high as Eric. I'm giving them a little bit of room, but I still want to see where they're going. I think I'm going to do the same thing as I did with uh, the finale, 9.5. Well, I'm, you know, I think if I had not watched this episode after Lower Decks, I may have scored it higher because I found the Lower Decks to be absolutely stupendous. Watching this one after I watched Lower Decks, I was like one of our viewers said, after Lower Decks, I was not as engaged in this episode uh, as I maybe would have been if I hadn't just watched Lower Decks. And uh, I didn't find it as, as great as maybe I would have before. Maybe if I go back and watch it now, I will. But at the time, I watched Lower Decks and then I rolled right into this one. And I felt this one lacking when compared to Lower Decks. Um, it was still fun. But I just felt it was lacking a little something. So uh, for me, I think I would give it maybe – I would go with an 8 for this one, I would say, an 8. And uh, before we run out of time, though, I don't know if you guys – did you guys like the logs that I'm pulling off at Instagram? You like those? Yeah, I, I thought they were cool. funny, especially the Shaxx ones. 
Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm enjoying those. I, I kind of like them because I haven't heard those before. So in, with that in mind, I have a clip that I want to play. This is the first, the first, and hopefully there will be more. This is the first log from Vice Admiral Janeway. This is not hologram Janeway. This is Vice Admiral Janeway, and this is her first log. And this is actually, I think, uh, more of a teaser for next week's episode than uh, the one episode that we're talking about tonight. But I liked it so much that I just I wanted to play it for you guys. So this is Vice Admiral Janeway's first official log. Vice Admiral's log, stardate 61224.9. We are en route from the Carina Nebula near the Beta Delta border, the last known location of the USS Protostar. Our only lead on her missing crew, led by Captain Chakotay. It's strange, commanding the Dauntless after years behind the desk. Even its name, suggested by Project Lead Palama Torres, is a solemn reminder of my previous time in the Delta Quadrant on Voyager. The sacrifices there, the mistakes we made. And now, a chance to return and rectify them. This was the mission of the Protostar, one Chakotay deeply believed in. And yet, the question remains, what happened to him? Our investigation led to a battle-damaged asteroid where we discovered a broken comm badge and equipment, rations, life support, enough to sustain hundreds for decades. But it was strangely empty, save for one lone survivor. Perhaps he holds the answers we seek. Dun, 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 dun. Unbelievable. I mean, she is just uh, she's tremendous, dude. Hours. Yeah, I mean, her delivery is so subtle. I mean, it's just, just the, the little hints that she puts in there that intrigue, or you just hear little subtextual emotions of each dialogue, and just you just keep wanting her to tell that story. She's amazing. And if you want she's 20 more Kate Mulgrew, I was just going to you need to... Oh, he's not dead. The Diviner is, is not dead. She says that he's no. barely alive. So um, they are going to revive the Diviner. So, and I, I just like that clip. I thought you guys might enjoy hearing from the, the actual Vice Admiral Janeway versus Hologram Janeway. Yeah, man, so, because that tells us where we're, we're getting exactly what we were sort of hoping we were when we were talking earlier, man. We're going to get like this crazy, you know, I mean, Voyager fans who said, man, man, why don't they ever do a Voyager movie and keep telling that story, right? I mean, because I think, there's a, a bunch of people that like that. Well, we're kind of getting that now in a cool way. Yeah. You know, who knows who else is going to show up from, from the Voyager cast in the, in the weeks to come as they tell the story. But I, I'm, man, I'm it. I mean, that's a selling point to me. I was, yeah, I didn't know that that was out there, man. That was a thrill to listen to. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep ripping the uh, Admiral Janeway logs off of Instagram and play them for you guys on each podcast because I like them. I think they're cool. It fills in a part of the show that's not actually on the show. Um, so I'm going to keep yeah. doing that. Well, guys, that wraps up our podcast for this week. So I want to say thank you so much to our very own Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, guys. And thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Oh, great time to spend in, inside and stay out of the weather, stay out of the crazy weather. And thank you so much to our very own cookies and milk guy, David. Thank you, David. 
yeah, sorry. I was on mute. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for the fun. Uh, I had a lot of fun. And next time, bring enough for everybody. you got to share. All right, fine. What kind you guys want? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, thank you to our very own Paul the Lion slash Toy Guy for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you so much, Paul. I had a blast. Hey, quick question, guys. Uh, when do the new episodes of uh, Prodigy drop? Is it Sundays? Thursday. Not today. Thursdays. Okay. Right now. Today. Okay, yeah, so and I got to tell you today that. I got to yeah. tell you guys, it's it's it, it, this is an episode called "Let Sleeping Borg Lie," and <laughs> the the crew finds a Borg. And it involves zero, and I cannot wait to watch it. That's why I didn't watch it yet, because I didn't want to talk about oh, it. But, okay, wow. Um, it, well, it, I'm it, all it, over the, that. The, I can't wait to watch that. The clip that, that, that I great. saw showed zero uh, getting assimilated. Well, don't, don't, don't tell me anything else. <laughs> it's only a short. I gotta clip. go with cold. So don't tell me. I don't know how they're gonna <laughs> handle it, but I cannot wait to see Stop it. Stop him! Stop him! It. I'm watching it right now. Anyways, okay, that's great. I'll be checking that out very soon. But no, this was super fun tonight, guys. We're all over the place. We're talking. I'm gonna watch stuff. it. Really delightful. Thank you. Listen. <laughs> Don't forget Comic Corner. Comic Corner on Monday, we're going to talk about Star Trek. I wish they titled it because number one, the Cisco Files. I don't know what else to call it, but we're going to be talking about Star Trek issue number one, which is the new series, and we're talking about Mirror War issue number zero on Monday on Comic Corner. And as Charles said, in our new section, we have a lot of Star Trek comic books to cover. So we're going to be doing a lot on Comic Corner. So Stay tuned for that. And as usual, guys, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please, please stay safe and be good to each other. And remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Thanks and for vote. listening. Get guys. out there and vote. Vote, vote, yes, vote, vote. Yes. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Peace and long life. Let's see what's out there. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.